You're listening to Around Comics, episode 164. Comics, the comic culture podcast. I'm Christopher Naisman, and I'll be your guide for the next hour plus of comic book news, information, and entertainment. And coming up on this episode, we get you caught up on the past week's events with Wire to Wire comic book news. Our feature interview this week is with the writer of Noble Causes and Dynamo 5, Mr. Jay Ferber. Tom Caters is back as the answer man. The quiet panelologists at work continue their A to Z, or Z, of British comics. Professor Jeremy Mullins is back with webcomic recommendations. Will Pfeiffer has new releases and DVDs and his cult DVD pick of the week. Jarrett Williams is back with a manga recommendation. And then we get you ready for the week ahead with Chris Marshall from the Collected Comics Library filling us in on everything new in trade paperback and collected editions and our own Tom Caters getting us ready for new single issues this week. All that and more is next on Around Comics. Around Comics is proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit www.heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. All right, let's get you caught up on the last week's events. Here's our own Brian Salazar with Wire to Wire Comic Book News. Wire to Wire Comic Book News for the week of December 31st, 2007. In its first year of Star Trek storytelling, IDW Publishing blasted off the launch pad with marquee titles like Star Trek Year 4, the hit miniseries Klingon's Blood Will Tell, and the fan-favorite Alien Spotlight one-shots. Now for its sophomoric cycle, IDW will take its titles to the next level with Star Trek Second Stage, an all-new publishing lineup showcasing some of the top Star Trek storytellers in comics, books, and television. Among the creators, fan-favorite comic book writer and novelist Peter David, legendary comic artist John Byrne, IDW's new rising stars Scott and David Tipton, and the grand dame of Star Trek writing DC Fontana. In conjunction with these releases, IDW Marketing has released a new company slogan, Star Trek Comic Books, when you don't want sex to get in the way of anything. Following his stint on Marvel's The Incredible Herc, Koi Pham is moving up in the world. Next stop, Mighty Avengers. Following Mark Bagley's guest penciler run on the series, Koi Pham will begin regularly penciling Mighty Avengers, starting with issue number 13. Some fans have suggested that Pham should be named the series' semi-regular artist. 
British comic book writer Jamie Delano was part of the first wave of British writers to come to American comics after Alan Moore. Delano is perhaps best known as the first writer of the comic series Hellblazer, being handpicked by Moore to write him. After an extended absence from comics, Delano is returning with a new Hellblazer OGN, illustrated by Jacques, and a creator-owned miniseries from Avatar Press entitled Narcopolis. Asked why he chose to publish Narcopolis at indie publisher Avatar, Delano replied, I didn't feel my work was being ignored quite enough in the last decade. As March solicitations have revealed and DC Comics has confirmed, Tom Payer is taking over as writer of The Flash, replacing Mark Wade on the ongoing title with issue number 238. The issue will kick off a six-part story called Fast Money, with Freddie Williams II remaining as penciler on the series. This follows the end of Mark Wade's run on the series, with January's issue number 236, and a one-issue fill-in story by Keith Champagne in February's issue 237. Asked why Wade's run had been cut so short, DC representatives said, We felt a change was in store when Mark wanted to change the title of the book from Flash the Fastest Man Alive to Flash the Fastest Man with the Most Annoying Family Ever Alive. In movie news, Variety movie columnist and blogger Ann Thompson claims that it's highly unlikely director Brian Singer will helm the sequel to Superman Returns. The director is finishing up Tom Cruise's Nazi film Valkyrie and prepping his next film, The Mayor of Castro Street. Industry sources have told Around Comics that stand-up comedian Chris Rock is very disappointed in the announcement. He was really looking forward to playing the part of a computer hacker used by Lex Luthor to defeat the Man of Steel. Viz Media, one of the entertainment industry's most innovative and comprehensive publishing, animation, and licensing companies, brings a new perspective to the manga marketplace with the launch of a new imprint called Viz Big Editions. The new imprint will release omnibus editions of top-selling manga series in a larger 5.75 by 8.58 size, larger than the standard 5 by 7.5 manga, with special premium presentations including new cover art. Asked if the new editions were produced to compete with American publishers Absolute and Omnibus editions, Viz Media representatives replied, Oh, are they in bookstores too? We hadn't noticed. Spitting out of the critically acclaimed Young Avengers, Marvel announced Young Avengers Presents Number 1. Ed Brubaker, Paco Medina, and cover artist Jim Chung bring you a spotlight on team leader Patriot as he deals with Steve Rogers' passing. Seeking out the enigmatic Winter Soldier, better known as Bucky Barnes, Patriot hopes to find some guidance in dealing with the death of Marvel's greatest hero. Jump on board now and race towards the amazing finish as the Winter Soldier utters those famous words, A black Captain America? That's a good one, kid. MySpace, the world's most popular social network, and Boom Studios, a leader in comic book and graphic novel publishing, announced a partnership to provide the MySpace comic book community with free digital downloads of Boom Studios' highly anticipated new comic book series, Northwind. Beginning on January 3rd, MySpace users will be able to download the first issue of Northwind for free, exclusively on the MySpace comic book profile, the same day that issue will hit store shelves. Each subsequent issue will be available on MySpace comic books and in stores at the same time. MySpace user Amber269 was one of the first to react to the news with, hey, not to sound weird or anything, but I was on my friend's MySpace playing around since I don't have an account of my own, and I saw your profile, just looking for someone to have fun with online. Check out my webcams, they're free! 
Marvel Comics launched MarvelKids.com this week. True believers can now experience the team of Iron Man and the Hulk in a series of groundbreaking Marvel Adventures animated adver videos. This series of advertisements, created in a fun video format, were developed to promote the popular all-ages Marvel Adventures line of comic books. The first video has already been released featuring Spider-Man and Iron Man fighting a giant robot with two more videos slated for later this month. The site also includes free digital Marvel Adventure comics, character bios, wallpapers, games, animated and feature film trailers, and more. What, waiting for some smart-ass comment? Well, you're not going to get it. Good work, Marvel. All right, fine. When asked about the launch of this exciting new series, Marvel Editor-in-Chief Joe Quesada said, We're really happy about how this came together. We hope that this will bring a whole new generation of comic book fans to Marvel superheroes so that someday we can rape their childhood memories too. Those are your wire-to-wire comic book headlines. Good night and good reading. And there you go, the week's news with a twist. From Brian Salazar. Uh, Jay Ferber has been thrilling fans with his soap opera style comic Noble Causes for several years now. But he has a new comic in addition to that called Dynamo 5. I had a chance to talk with Jay back in December and we talked about the titles he's working on, just different parts of, of the industry. And I'll tell you, if you're not reading Noble Causes or Dynamo 5, you're, you're missing out on two really fun titles. So uh, whether you're a fan or not, I think that the, the following interview is a lot of fun. So without further ado, here is our conversation with writer Jay Ferber. Jay, uh, welcome, and it's uh, it's great to have you aboard. Well, great, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Since we started the podcast a couple years ago, we've had a lot of listeners that will send in suggestions of books that we should read and that they'd like us to talk about on the show. And one of the books that kind of keeps getting recommended is Noble Causes. And there are there are so many comics out there. I'm very guilty that I had put off reading Noble Causes. Uh-huh. I know I'm one of those guys that, that you hate. It's like, I, I hear the click on the other end of the line. <laughs> uh, but Noble Causes is one of those books that I've just kind of put off. It's always been in the back of my mind that I should check that book out. And then whenever I knew that I was going to be talking with you, I was like, okay, well, I really need to, to finally pick this book up. I, I read Dynamo 5 and loved it. But in the last, like, two and a half weeks, I have dived into the Noble Causes universe, and you have me absolutely completely hooked now. <laughs> well, cool. How, did you, are you current then, or did you just do the first few? Or? I have plowed through every trade, and I'm caught up in single issues now. Oh, wow. Good deal. I have taken the, the crash course in Noble yeah, Causes. Yeah. And I know that there are long-term Noble Causes fans out there that would hate me because everything that they've had to wait for for years to develop, yeah. <laughs> I just like you know like shot right into my right into my bloodstream. So it's cause. fun to do that stuff sometimes to oh. just uh, plow through stuff in you know in a short time. Absolutely, it's been it's been a really uh, fun yet yet quick journey. And I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the series because kind of sure. one of the advantages of reading a series in a real compressed time is that you get a real good idea of how the series has changed over yeah. over the years. And um, it, for folks out there, just kind of um, give the, the, a real quick idea of what Noble Causes was going to be about whenever you guys first started the book. Well, the way I pitched it to 
image was uh, basically just a single sentence, and it was the Kennedy family with superpowers. So it was just designed to be sort of a, a rich, famous, you know, family of heroes that uh, was just, uh, um, you know, kind of adored and, and chased after by the public, you know, the subject of magazines and paparazzi and that sort of thing, and that the, the superhero battles were going to be kind of the backdrop. We were going to kind of reverse it and have it be that the subplots were kind of what drove the book, and the Save the World stuff was kind of in the background. And, uh, you know, we, we've kind of strayed from that now and then from time to time, but that's generally still the approach I try to take with it. Sure, in the, in the early days it was very much the, the moments in between of the right, battles. Right, right. And I notice in the in like the 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 first trade, just setting up the characters. I I hadn't read uh, anything really about the series. I'd heard people obviously suggest it, didn't know the premise, and I got about oh what would be two or so issues into the trade, and I put it down. And I'm like, this is a soap opera. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, with, you know, admittedly a soap opera. Yep. And I was like, this is, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, who is the, the father of the baby? You know, this is yep. the, uh, the half brother who's his father, you know, all of these, you know, classic soap opera storylines. So I have to ask, are you a soap opera fan? In theory, I mean, I don't really watch any anymore, but, uh, but I like the, the medium or the, you know, genre, whatever you prefer. And, uh, there was a time, I mean, I really got hooked on General Hospital in college mm-hmm. and watched it off and on up until just a few years ago where I just kind of gave up. It just strayed too far from, you know, the kind of the, the stories I enjoyed, <laughs> much like a lot of Marvel and DC comics. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I just sort of, you know, walked away. But, um, but yeah, in, in theory, I, I do like it. I, I think they're, they're fun. You know, I, I, and they have a lot of parallels with comics, with the, you know, the, the being really tight with the continuity and, you know, fan-favorite characters and, writing for that fan base while trying to bring in new fans, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, very similar. Sure. I, I, you know, I remember as, as a kid, um, you know, and I think that we're around the, the same age. I'm 34. And yeah, 35. Sure. So, uh, you know, summer vacations, you know, for me growing up in southern Illinois, were spent reading comics and hanging out at my house and my mom was a housewife and so she would have you know like at noon that was the time when all the kids would come in to have lunch and my mom would have all my children on so my summers were comic books and all my children (laughs) and and i grew up on the burn claremont x-men and those if you look back on those and and we even had a a forum poster at our at our site today describe noble causes as if you like the the burn claremont era of x-men and kind of the soap opera that was involved then then you probably will like noble causes oh well that's flattering yeah that's uh, i was a big fan of that stuff too uh i kind of came to it later i think when i really got into the x-men it was the paul smith era sure uh so i got into the burn stuff kind of after the fact but uh but yeah that's that's really good stuff and very flattering now, with the uh, with noble causes, I, I, there's a couple different ways that I can see to read it. You can go all the way back to the first volume, which is the the obviously the early years of noble causes when it was mostly mini series and one shots, and yeah. then you started with uh, with what is now volume four of the trades is the right. new ongoing series, and I kind of feel that. If you're a reader that's wanting to check out the series, you kind of have the option of either going to Volume 1 or Volume 4, because you really kind of relaunch the series with Volume 4. 
Yeah, I mean, you've actually got a third option, too, which is in March, when issue 32 comes out, it's basically another relaunch of, uh, you know, we just kind of clean the decks and uh, uh, we jump ahead five years uh, in the continuity of the book. So, um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, so that's a good place to jump on, obviously. But if you're talking about trades, yeah, I mean, the, the, the fourth volume is, you know, the launch of the ongoing and the start of our uh, long-running artist, Fran Bueno. Um, and, yeah, it was de- designed kind of as a, as a jump on, and it is a good starting point. Um, it's a little smoother than the first three volumes, which were a little choppy, a little rough around the edges. But uh, the fourth one is where we really kind of kicked into gear, I think. Sure, and, and as I you know kind of said earlier, I, I read them in a very compressed time, and I actually enjoyed a lot of the the rough around the the edges approach of the of the first mini series. You know, it, it's it it had that very independent comic feel, but sure, you could sure. tell that there were pros working on. It. I I kind of liked that the kind of roughness of seeing these characters kind of uh, gestate almost and become yeah. what they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was fun, and it was fun to kind of learn as I go and. You know, I used a lot of new talent on the book, and I still do. I've, I've always liked working with newer artists. Um, and, uh, you know, some uh, some evolve faster than others, I guess. Some some catch on faster. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it, it was fun to start a book with characters that were totally new and just build them up. And that's kind of what we're doing in issue 32 as well. There's going to be some new family members who we haven't met before. So we get some some fresh looks at these characters. Now, is this going to be uh, is this going to be stuff that was kind of foreshadowed in the time travel issue? Um, not really. A little bit here and there, but it's it's still it's it's a lot of it's kind of fresh. It's it's new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of came about after the time travel issue, but but I, I do have plans to incorporate some of that time travel stuff into this five years later uh, in, in a kind of weird way. Now, one, of the, one of the things I really enjoyed about the uh, the ongoing series was the introduction of the Blackthorn family, which is I, I thought a great you know juxtaposition of the Noble family. I thought that was a, a yeah. great a great introduction for for those folks. So uh, how did you how did you come up with the Blackthorns, or why did you introduce them into the series? Um, I, it was just another way to um, you know, despite the fact that it's a soap opera, I do like to give stories an ending, or at least specific subplots endings, and. Uh, I was just looking for kind of a new A plot, something to kind of jumpstart things, and uh, um, I don't know. It just popped into my head. I forget exactly. I, I didn't have a specific idea, um, but it, it just put a new dimension to the book. Some, some, it, it gave me a chance to do some more soap opera tricks, and uh, the kind of the template for the Blackthorns were kind of the like the Gotti family, the mob family, mm-hmm. where they're criminals, and everybody knows they're criminals, but yet. In their specific neighborhood, a lot of people view them as heroes because they look out for the neighborhood, that kind of thing. And, you know, I didn't get to address all of that in the book, but that's kind of what I had in mind for them. That was kind of their blueprint. Sure, they're almost celebrity criminals. Almost, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Now, um, 
a lot of folks will will email us or, or you see it on forums. People will ask about, you know, where is a, a, a good place to start with Spider-Man or Hulk or with the Justice League? And, and they're looking for these, these great places to jump on with series or to give friends of theirs to say, hey, comics are, are a lot of fun. You know, here, try out, here's a Spider-Man book. You know who Spider-Man is. And I think that that image as, as a line of comics, and you look at Noble Causes and, and I think Dynamo 5 and, and Kirkman's work with Invincible and, and his other books, I, th- I think those get overlooked as books for existing comic fans to turn non-existing comic fans onto. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, they're fresh and they're, they're more pure. You know, they're not driven by an editor-in-chief who has to answer to investors and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's what the writer wants. It's, it's writer-driven, which you can't say about a lot of comics these days. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. and it, it does irk me when people, um, you know, I'll see a great week of comics come out, a lot of great image books and stuff, but, you know, I'll see guys on a message board say, eh, you know, I'm just picking up Hulk this week or whatever, you know. <laughs> completely overlooking that. All, all they care about is the uh, the Marvel DC stuff. Sure. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's frustrating sometimes. You know, I, as I've gotten into Noble Causes, and I've been a fan of Invincible for for a couple of years now, and, and I see how how that universe is expanding. You have Astounding Wolfman, and Dynamo Five is a part of that, and you can even really trace it back to Savage Dragon and, and those yeah, series. Sure. But it's really fun to see how there's this world that Image is creating that in a lot of ways has the energy that the early Marvel books did in that yeah. you can have these characters meet each other. And it, it I think when people look back at this, they're going to see this as really a fun time with Image to say there was so much crossover and, and fun developing with these with these different books. What's it like working with all the creators at Image to kind of make this universe? It's cool, although it's, it's I, I think you're making it sound more um, conscious than it is. I mean, it's, it's really just guys doing their own books and occasionally, you know, asking if we can have so-and-so show up as a guest star. I mean, there's never any kind of coordination. Um, you know, uh, just, just a couple of days ago, I got an email from Robert Kirkman with some pages from an upcoming Invincible in it that feature some, uh, some of my characters, which he didn't even tell me he was doing. <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, I forgot to ask you about this, but uh, check this out. And, of course, I loved it. It was by Ryan Otley, so, you oh, know, great. how could I not? But, um, you know, it's not something where I have to then reference it in Dynamo 5 and say, you know, oh, be sure to check out Invincible to see, you know, what the team is up to or any of that stuff. It's, so it's not, we're not hindered by the shared universe. Um, if Eric Larson wants to have the Earth invaded by, you know, uh, alien turtles for six issues, you know, we're not obligated to show that invasion in our books. Um, so it really is, you know, you have the freedom, but you've also got this universe uh to play in when you want to, you know, so it's a benefit and not a hindrance. Sure, and that's that's a really fine line to, to walk. You know, as much as we, we love seeing characters that we enjoy in one book pop up in another, and I think that was a lot of the, the magic and charm of of comics whenever we were growing up. I Personally, I miss the editor's note. You know, you guys should use the editor's <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess I don't miss them. It's, 
I mean, I know it's a comic book convention, but, you know, it, uh, I think it's sometimes a handicap. You know, I think everything you need to know should be in that specific comic rather than, you know, oh, see this issue, reader, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. So it's, I, I don't think I'll be doing it anytime soon. Well, you know, to, to get back to, you know, I, first of all, I'm shocked that it isn't more conscious on on your guys' part because it feels that way and that I think is is a credit to the strength of the characters and the writers is that it feels like a, a fairly cohesive universe right now but it's it's a fine line of having crossovers and creating a universe with multiple writers and multiple artists but not being bogged down with continuity and yeah. you know, it, I feel that all the time as a reader that stories are suffering because of cross um, universe continuity and yeah oh absolutely it's uh i mean i i i barely read any mainstream you know marvel and dc books these days for that reason you can't just read a title you can't decide i want to collect uh you know you know just pick a title because it's always you know oh you, you if you're not reading you know infinite crisis or uh you know world war hulk you're not gonna understand what's going on you have to read this other stuff to get the whole picture and I just, even, you know, when we were reading comics, you know, the Byrne, Claremont stuff, the Wolf and Perez Titan stuff, uh, you know, it took place, obviously, in those universes, but you could read that book and no other book and, you know, have a completely entertaining experience without having to shell out money and having to track down other comics, you know, to, to get the whole story, that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I felt like, you know, the editors that were always, you know, kind of their little plug to say, hey, you might want to check out, you know, if you like this, you might want to check out Marvel 2-in-1. And, you know, they're talking about something that happened there where I feel today it, with the, the event deluge that we're going through, you have to buy these, not not five or ten books, but you have to buy these 82 books over the next four months to get the whole story. For Image to do what they're doing is great because... You know, kind of like I said, I've been an Invincible fan for a couple of years, and yep. I haven't had to read Noble Causes to yeah, keep up yeah. with everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's the whole point of creator-owned comics, I think, is to be able to do what you want and not. And, and I think, you know, both Kirkman and I and Larson, we're, we're, we're mindful of that, of not making the reader buy something. That we, you know, we want to encourage them to buy something, obviously. Um, you know, there was an issue of... Noble Causes, I think it was issue five of the ongoing that had Invincible on the cover, mm-hmm. and which was obviously to entice Invincible fans to try Noble Causes. Uh, you know, I'm not above that, but um, <laughs> but they didn't need to. You know, it wasn't a continuation from an Invincible story, that kind of thing. Well, one of the things about about uh, Noble Causes that, that kind of married two of uh, two of the things I really enjoy uh, with Noble Causes, and I'm a huge fan of anthologies. I, I love being able to get a, a great you know cross section of different writers and different artists work in in one book and try out a lot of things. And you actually had a hand in making some pretty neat anthologies under the Noble Causes title. Talk about uh, Noble Causes Extended Family a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we did two of those a couple of years ago, uh, which was just, you know, which an ego stroke for me, really, to see some of my favorite writers and artists work on my characters. Um, and, you know, just, uh, and, 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 you know, honestly, to try to get some of their fan base to try out the book as well. Um, but it was just fun getting to, you know, getting to play editor a little bit and see 
what these guys would do with my characters. Um, we had, you know, Brian Vaughn and Jeff Johns and uh, Tom Pyre and B. Clay Moore and uh, Kirkman. And, you know, we had a bunch of guys. Uh, Dale Simone did a story. Um, and, yeah, it was just really fun. Phil Hester wrote one. Uh, Todd Nauk drew one. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, I don't plan on doing anything like that again with different writers and stuff, but we're, we're doing a Dynamo 5 annual in um, March, I believe. It's going to be kind of a jam anthology annual that, that's flashback stories of the Dynamo 5 characters and Captain Dynamo, and that's going to feature uh, different artists contributing short stories. But they're all going to be written by me. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, someday we may do more Noble Causes stuff in that vein, too a lot of fun now will you talk about um flashback stories that kind of stuff that was one of the things in the early run of noble causes that i really enjoyed a lot of times backup stories you can feel like ah you know what i may read this i may not but the backup stories in noble causes gave you these great insights into the characters and is there any any plan besides the annual to maybe go back to doing some of the uh some of the backup stories uh no plan for backups either because it's it's I mean, they were hard on two fronts. One was it was a challenge to to pull off what you just mentioned to make them relevant, uh, you know, to tie into whatever happened in that in that issue in some sort of meaningful way. And it was also just to paint a coordinate, you know, uh, to, to get a second creative team, a second artist, and a second colorist uh, to do these things in time. And you know, I don't want to keep the the, the book. I don't want to make the book late for a backup story, you know, when, when the lead artist is, is meeting his deadlines and then have the schedule messed up because some guy can't do five pages. Um, so, you know, I, I may do flashbacks within the framework mm-hmm. of the main story, uh, kind of like we did with the Blackthorns, but um, but I don't have any plans for actual backup stories. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, uh, it was uh, Freddie Williams drew the, the backups there yeah. for, or not the, the flashbacks, not the backups. Yeah, yep, yep, so, yeah, Freddie. And he was, he was, uh, um, when Fran Bueno left, Freddie was going to be the new, he was going to take over the book mm-hmm. uh, for like a day and a half, I think. And then he called and was like, DC <laughs> just called me. And uh, that was that. Yeah, but, Ro- uh, Robin, yeah. Was, Robin was calling his name, huh? It, was, it wasn't even Robin yet. He was doing um, some of those, he, he did a couple issues of the Grant Morrison uh, Seven Soldiers stuff. Um, That's right. And then from there, I, I forget where he bounced from there. Uh, but, but, you know, I couldn't, you know, I, I, he, not that he was asking my permission in the first place, but, uh, you know, I was obviously happy for him. He's a great artist, and I was glad to see him get his due. Sure, and there's, uh, um, speaking of, of other artists, and, and um, Fran Bueno, who I had not been familiar with, was mm, blowing yep. me away on the stuff that he was doing. Yeah, he is fantastic. Wow. And, uh, we, we have another book in development, but, you know, it's one of those things that... I wrote the first issue, and he's just kind of drawing it in his spare time, so there's no even tentative release date. Uh, but, yeah, his stuff's just fantastic. He only left the book because he was just burnt out on the, the pace he had to keep up. Uh, so he, he's doing comics in Spain now, I believe. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, another artist that you've worked with, uh, Jamal Eigel. Is um, yeah. is is one of my favorites. And you guys actually did a miniseries called Venture. and. Yeah. I was really happy to see Venture pop up in Noble Causes, and that's been one of the nice things is that you've, you've got a character like Venture or a character like the Firebirds that yep. you've been able to tie into Noble Causes, and it, it's, 
is do you like being able to say, hey, I'm going to work on a, on another group or another hero, and if they can't sustain their own title, there's still a place for them to exist in this universe? Yeah, it, it is fun. I mean, you know, obviously you go in creating something new, you know, hoping for success, but uh, but, but it is nice to have these the you know that even though Venture, which sadly wasn't a miniseries, it was it was supposed to be an ongoing, oh. uh, and it just died. Um, but uh, it, it is nice to be able to, to 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 have that character show up from time to time in noble causes um, or Dynamo Five, wherever the case may be, and the same with Firebirds. Uh, so it is it is cool to have you know I can have guest stars from Kirkman and Eric's books, but even better, I could just have my own. <laughs> just have my, you know, populate my own little corner of the universe, which is even more fun. Sure, and and we're starting to see that now, and we'll we'll move on to to your latest book. That is another one that people are like, you need to be reading this book. And I caught on a little bit late with the first trade, and I couldn't I couldn't pass up the the Dynamo Five for what was it nine ninety nine for the for the first trade. Yeah, it was seven issues for nine ninety five. And I was like, okay, I I I need to read this book. I've been hearing good stuff about it, and once again. Brought it home, plowed through it in one night, and was blown away. I'm just like, we have to talk about about Dynamo Five on the show, and we found out a lot of our listeners had already known more than we did, as usual. Um, Dynamo Five, tell people a little bit about the series, and and then we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Dynamo Five is uh, another kind of family book, uh, just kind of by coincidence, and they are. Um, the illegitimate offspring of Captain Dynamo, who was a kind of a premier hero who passed away. And after his death, his widow learned that he had been unfaithful. And he, he had had, you know, numerous affairs and at least five children. And uh, now that he's dead, his city has come under attack from all his villains. So she rounds up these five kids and kind of exposes them to the same radiation that gave him his powers and it unlocks their powers, and they've each inherited one of his powers, so his, his powers have been kind of uh, dispersed throughout them. And so these five kids who have never met each other realize they all share a common father and uh, uh, become superheroes and uh, protect Tower City from evil. With Dynamo 5, it's actually, I, I've tried to consciously make it different than Noble Causes in that I'm trying to make the stories a little more standalone. Each issue at least has a villain that's, that's usually defeated by the end of the issue. I, I try to make it a little more action-driven than Noble Causes, too. I mean, Dynamo 5, rather than be inspired by soap operas, one, it's kind of my love letter to 80s cartoons and, and just classic superhero team books. Um, but uh, as far as the characters, one of the things that I really liked and what I'm missing in, in Marvel and DC books are... You know, the old stuff of the old Teen Titans books where the characters kind of each had their own little supporting cast. Uh, you know, Cyborg had uh, Sarah Sims, the girl he was dating, and she was a, you know, uh, didn't she go with handicapped kids, I think. And, uh, you know, Wonder Girl was dating Terry Long, and uh, she had her photography studio. They all had their own little lives. And too often in comics these days, even in teen books, the characters just sort of exist in the team. They never seem to have any sort of outside life uh, that we see. And so Dynamo 5 was a conscious effort to get back to that, to where each of these kids, they live in different parts of the country, and they all have their own families and their own schools and their own supporting characters. And uh, so, so it's kind of like, you know, we have this gigantic supporting cast that's 
kind of focused on each character. And, uh, you know, it's just fun ex- exploring the ways these kids are different and the ways they're the same. And, uh, you know, we really ratchet that up in, in coming issues uh, where where we see some of their similarities and differences in an even greater detail, I guess. Sure. It's uh, And what I liked about the series, it, it kind of... You know, follows the you know I don't want to say formula, but it, but it kind of follows that that story that we've seen before of you know, strangers that are kind of thrown into a situation and they have to kind of almost immediately um, get to know each other and there are there are rough edges around characters. There are characters yeah. that that obviously don't like each other at the beginning and and you kind of you know or you hope anyway that they're going to grow into a family and and you're very good in in your comics about throwing a lot of curveballs to where now I don't know if all of these folks are really going to like each other it's uh <laughs> you know you don't you know and I think very consciously you don't tie up things in in very neat bows I I like the way that you leave some rough edges on your characters yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, it's it's just just trying to keep it. You know, drama is interesting, and, and happy characters are boring. So you know, you've got to keep some conflict going, whether it's between the characters or between the characters in a situation. Um, or you know, Maddie Warner, their their kind of den mother, is is definitely a big source of conflict, and that's only going to grow uh, as we move towards issue twelve. Um, and, and we'll kind of see the kids kind of bond together against her in some respects. Okay, depending on how many more people she kills, right? How tight of a leash she thinks she can keep them on. She, uh, you know, because what I'll say is that they are, you know, she she assembled them to protect Tower City, but these kids all live in different cities. And, and what happens if there's a crime or, or a, a threat in one of the other places, and they want to deal with it? And she says no. You know, it's not in Tower City, so I don't care. You're not going. And that that's kind of what happens in an upcoming issue, and we see just what happens to that. Well, now that we've talked about some of the series that you're working on, I want to get in some uh, some noble causes dirt for uh, for all of the the longtime noble causes uh, fans out there. One of the things I I was really really impressed with is how you brought race back, and it's one of the things that you kind of have to sit around and think about. Like, okay, how does this work? But you you basically through some sleight of hand. Um, completely changed universes without yeah. people really knowing about it? Yeah, it, it's not something that we ever reference. Well, actually, we do reference it once, but uh, it, it was really just a way to get race back in the book. Um, and uh, and at the time that I wrote him coming back, I thought the book was over. It, it was, it was going to end at that point. So I brought him back kind of as a happy ending for Liz. And then uh, the image guys talked me into to giving it another shot. And I started thinking about, you know, the book with race around and how much more fun that could be. So, you know, I, I kept him around. And, and so, yeah, technically, the Noble Causes in Volumes 1 through 3 is in a different universe than the Noble Causes in 4 onward. But, you know, it's not something I, I dwell on. I don't want to get involved in multiple realities and all that stuff too often. It just becomes a nightmare. Sure, it's one of those things that you kind of think about and it's like, yeah, and you just kind of chuckle about it and move on. But, yeah. like... Yeah. The, the the original Frost that we got to know in in the first minis, he's in an alternate reality, kind of being an underground resistance fighter now. Right, right. And uh, yeah. do you ever want to revisit that stuff? Yeah, no, because just just because it's too confusing, I just think <laughs> it would cause more problems than it than it would answer. So it's it's really you know all the characters that are in the book now 
have the exact same personalities as they did before the universe jump. So they, um, you know, it, it wouldn't, it's not really necessary. I mean, they're all, it, it, again, it was just a, a device that we used to bring race back. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, with, with the Blackthorn family, at the end of issue, what, 29 or 30, something like that, we, uh, you know, we kind of opened up that can of worms a little bit to provide a happy ending for Hunter Blackthorn. But, uh, uh, but it's not something I anticipate doing again, although... You know, never say never. Well, I mean, but that it's really kind of one of the fun things about about the series and the fact that you don't have to tie into a huge continuity outside of the series. You can kind of just wink at the reader and the long term right. fan and say, "Yeah, you know right. what? Eh, it's just a different universe, but everything's yep. yeah, pretty much the same." Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that, I mean, the closer you look at it, the more you'll see the the steam starting to tear around the edges. So, I'd rather just. You know, uh, just just keep moving forward in that respect. Sure, you don't want to t- pull on the one string and the and the whole tapestry falls apart. Exactly, it's kind of exactly. the fun of it. Well, one uh, one of the other uh, storylines, and gosh, there's a million of them that that you seem to have ha- have put together in this. But I really enjoyed the Celeste and Dawn relationship. Uh, first oh, of all, yeah, yeah. a lesbian love triangle is always fun to to read about, but it was. I, did you approach that as kind of a Romeo and Juliet story? A little bit. I mean, but that, that was also ended up happening with uh, Slate and Zephyr as well. I mean, they were almost more of a Romeo and Juliet than <clears throat> Celeste and Dawn, because Celeste and Dawn were kind of doing it in secret. Um, so it was kind of, you know, I had him working on both levels. But Celeste and Dawn was really just a way to really uh, mix things up with Celeste, because Celeste was always supposed to be kind of our diva, I was just running out for people for her to sleep with. <laughs> so I thought, I think it was Brian Vaughn who suggested she sleep with one of the women of the Blackthorns. And I was like, at first we just kind of laughed it off, but it just kind of gestated and, and grew. And I was like, wow, that's a, actually a cool idea. And so I, I ran with it. That Brian Vaughn, when in doubt, just create a, a, you know, a lesbian love affair. Yeah, really, that's kind of a, a, a theme with him, isn't it? That guy is just a one-trick pony. Yeah, he's got a one-track mind, actually. But, uh, <laughs> well, now, you, you mentioned Slate and Zephyr. Have we seen the last of that relationship? Uh, no, no, they're, they're both a big part of, of kind of the new, you know, the, the five years later Noble Causes. They're, they're both there, and, and Slate is a full-fledged member of the family, and, and uh, they're not married, but they're, they're definitely a couple, and he has he has kind of turned his back on the Blackthorns and is, is working with the Nobles out in public and stuff. Well, that makes me very sad for Detective Omega. Yeah, Detective Omega is uh, left out in the cold, and, and we haven't seen him. I've, I've written about three issues of the new series so far, and we haven't seen Omega yet, but when we do, he may not be a good guy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with him. Wow, okay. He has the makings of a supervillain, I think. Now, we, we, got to, we got to see Rusty and Ray kind of... Uh, end on on a happy note after the whole the the robot storyline that that had been brewing for quite a while uh, quite a while right. being like three days for me but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh so i'm I'm assuming that that rusty and ray uh hopefully have a, a rosy immediate future ahead of them oh well see so you shouldn't assume because uh, uh Ray is nowhere to be seen in the new family lineup um and uh rusty is there. And he's very different, and, and that'll be one of the big uh, kind of secrets as, as to what happened to him and why he's like that, and, and what happened to Ray. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll delve into that, you know, before too long. But 
I want people to be wondering about that. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> That's the idea. I, the, you're one of those writers that the worst thing that you can see happen to your characters is something good because right around the corner you're going to hit them with a with a two by four, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, Doc and and Gaia, obviously the the patriarch and matriarch of of the noble family, um, Doc's character, you've seen change quite a bit from the beginning. He was a a very, um, you know, ineffectionate father figure, always in the lab, uh, hero first, but his uh, whole body switch uh, story with the, uh, with the, with the crazy, uh, was he a yeah. crazy scientist? And yep. uh, that, that really seemed to change that character. And, and he seems to have really softened while, while Gaia has become, if not villainous, she's even more devious than she was earlier. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of, um, that was never intentional, either of those kind of developments. Um, and Doc just sort of softened as time went on, and uh, um, and, and yeah, Gaia just became more and more manipulative. I guess you know she's not evil, but she is definitely uh, not above doing whatever she needs to to get the result that she wants. Um, so the, the ends always justify the means for her. Sure, it's um, not it's not about it's not about the fan or it's not about public safety. It's about the family first with her. Always. Right, exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's not even just about the family first, it's about the family, the, the perception of family for her. It's all about how they are perceived by the public. Um, sure. It's, it's the image. The image is, yeah. is number yep. one. Now, yep. Fro- Frost is one of my favorite characters because in one issue, you, you love him and you see a lot of redemptive qualities, especially at the, at the end of kind of volume one, you see that, that really at his, at his core, he's, he's a good guy. He's just been dealt a really rough hand. But then there are other issues. You're like, he is a despicable jerk. <laughs> and yeah. Yep. So he, he has to be probably one of your favorite characters to write. He is. I've always liked characters who are kind of ambiguous and who are who are kind of gray, and uh, uh, and and that's that's what I like about him that that he is, you know, de- de- depending on the situation, he can be a hero or a villain. And in the and, and there were times where I had to work it at reminding myself to, to make him unlikable at times because I just had him coming across as too nice from time to time. So. Um, in this new incarnation of the book, you'll see that he's uh, his look has changed dramatically, and he's also a full member of the family, like Slate. He's he's there above board, and he's going on adventures with them. And, and we don't quite see how that happened. That that's one of the mysteries: is just what did he do to suddenly win everyone over? And then is it legitimate? Is he truly, you know, changed his his tune? Is he truly a hero, or is he running some scam on the whole family? And that's that's something else that will. That's, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So it sounds like you have a very big shakeup in store for uh, for noble causes. So yeah, there is. Uh, we're going to see Doc is mar- is married to a new wife, and she has her own kids, and they're all superheroes. So that's how we get the uh, some new family, some new blood in. Um, he, he's got a new wife, and she has two kids of her own, and then you know plus Slate uh, and Zephyr has a new husband. Or not Zephyr. I'm sorry. Celeste has a new husband that's going to be uh, quite quite an interesting addition to the book as well. So, 
should actually be fun. Wow. Well, I, I tell you what, in, in the last couple of weeks, I've become totally hooked on Noble Causes. You have me absolutely ruined now, so I'm waiting for the waiting for the, the, the new additions to the to the series to come out. So Jay, I wanna I wanna thank you so much for uh writing such an engaging and fun book that it goes beyond soap soap operas. It, it it is a superhero book, but it has all of the the fun intrigue and and character development that that a lot of old time comic fans will will look for and enjoy. And and best of luck with Noble Causes and what's coming up with Dynamo Five. And I hope that uh, that fans go out and and definitely check out the first trade of Dynamo Five because I can almost guarantee that if you're just a, a good old school uh, superhero fan, you'll be hooked. Right right away on that series. Excellent. Well, thanks very much. I had fun. All right, there you go. A uh, big thank you to Jay Ferber. If you want to keep up with Jay, you can uh, follow his forum over at the Image Comics forums. It's real easy to go there. Just go to imagecomics.com and check out their forums. There's a lot of great creators there. And definitely uh, be on the lookout for the new Noble Causes and Dynamo 5 at your local comic shop. We're back again with the A to Z of British comics. Hooray! And this week we're on the letter F. F. Have you got an F? I have got an F. Today's F for me is Fleetway. I've heard of them. Fleetway, also known as Fleetway Publications and Fleetway Editions, is a publishing company that mainly produces comic magazines for the UK, John. Really? It's true. Is it? Yeah. It began, I don't believe it. It's true. It began life in 1890. You're joking. That's true, before comics were even invented. My God. Yeah. What did they publish? Rocks? They published comic cuts and illustrated chips. Illustrated chips. Wow, that's a fancy potato-based snack. But in 1890, John, it wasn't called Fleetway. It wasn't? What was it called? It was called Algamated Press. So is that a different company? Well, it's the same company. They became Fleetway. Right. Algramated Press was based in a place called Fleetway House. Ah. See where it came from. In 1987, all of the comics were sold to... Guess who they sold to, John? Uh, bet they were sold to... Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell. How did you know Robert. that? I don't know. Why do I know that? But I do. Yeah. So, some of the comics published by Fleetway, John, we've already mentioned. Have we? Like what? Like Beano and the Dandy. We haven't mentioned Beano, have we? No. That'd be a good one. Mentioned Dandy. We did Disparate Dan. Mm, that'll do. 2000 AD. Oink. I remember that. Border Rovers. Yeah. Wizard and Chips. Love it. Whoopi. Wow. I know, I'm excited too. <laughs> no, no, they were names of comics. Oh, right, okay. And they have been the biggest UK comics publisher, well, since the late 1800s, John. (laughs) Since time began. Now, the rumour is that Fleetway insisted back in the early 1900s on using the finest available British-made paper. Right. And this paper came from the rag-clad bodies of dead street urchins, such as Oliver Twist. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry? I suspect that may be a lie. No, no, that's the uh, that's the rumour. What they would do is the, the street urchins who had run out of food 
they would yeah. uh, get their rag-clad bodies and they would uh, make them into pulp paper for oh, publishing right. in the UK early 1900s comic book paper industry. Okay. Mm. Do this That's day. one way to sort out the homeless problem, I suppose. Well, there you go. I wonder why they don't do that now. Apparently, you see, in the early 1900s, when the UK paper started to run out, they had a vast yeah. stockpile of paper which saw right. through the next hundred years without having to update their production methods. Now, I'm not sure that's fact, John. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. they had enough paper to last them a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, I I think my research materials may be wrong. I think they could be. So yes, there you go, John Fleetway, the biggest UK publishing comic company in the world. In the world. Well, yeah, they are. They're the biggest UK comics publisher in the world. All right. In okay. fact, they're the biggest UK comic publisher in the universe. Wow. Mm, get some of that. That is a claim to fame. Well, my F for you, mm. my F for you, is Frank Hampson. Oh, who's he? He's a man, and he's the creator and artist of Dan Depp, Isle of the Future. Well, we talked about him only recently. Yes, that's right, because I haven't got any original ideas. Oh, cool. Now, Frank Hampson, he's quite famous for creating a, like, studio system, much like Andy Warhol did in Campbell Soup print production. Well, I'll be. And as many as four artists may have worked on two pages of strip at any one time. Really? Yeah. Cool. But it didn't last long, because although the art was fantastic, there were very high bills involved, and they couldn't afford to keep the system going. Oh. But he's a very good artist. So hang on, on one page, they would have as much as four artists working. Yeah. Ooh. I know, it must have been cramped around that desk. Well, but it was quite tragic, the end of his career. Go on. Because um, he devised loads of strip cartoon ideas that he was going to offer to the Eagle, because he worked for the Eagle. But he didn't tell anybody what he was doing. So Longacre Press, who was publishing the Eagle at the time, accused him of breach of contract... They forced him to resign, all his strips were impounded, and he hardly drew for comics ever again. Well, I'll be, that's not very nice. No. But surely with the new Dan Dare comic, isn't he making loads of money? No, Matt, because he's dead. Oh. But I'm sure that somebody must be making money from it. Yeah. He was voted at the Luca Convention to be the best writer and artist of strip cartoons since the end of the Second World War. Blimey. Well, then we should all remember... What's his name? <laughs> you haven't remembered him even now. Well, I'm too busy doing... It's taken you, like, a minute to forget him. All right, well, there you Frank go. Frank Hampson. Frank Hampson. Yeah. Hampson. 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 So that's F. In the quiet panelist at work, A to Z of British comic, Fleetway and... Frank Hampson. Bye! Bye! And a big thank you to the quiet panelologists at work as they continue their A to Z of British comics. You can find their podcast by going to panelologist.com. They're also a member, just like us, of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can find more great podcasts like Quiet Panelologist at Work or Around Comics or Collected Comics Library by going to comicspodcast.com. Hello, lads and lasses. Welcome to Answer Man. This is the part of the show where you ask me a pointed question to see what sort of angry rant you can get from me. If I sound a little exasperated, it's because I just spent about 30 seconds laughing really hard 
to myself in a kitchen like a madman. I just recorded the new releases, and as I was going through and I was cleaning up some of the audio stuff on it, I noticed in uh, Audacity, which is the program I use, one of the effects is DC bias removal. My first thought was, how does this program know I like DC comics? Um, and I laughed pretty hard at myself. And maybe that's uh, that, that might be too much. You might be a little scared of me now, but uh, I did laugh really hard at that. I think um, I think I really need my girlfriend to move back into the same city as I live in. Uh, Sunday mornings are uh, a little rough, a little rough for me. I'll be honest. Uh, so let's get straight to the questions uh, this week. Our question is from Vicious Smith. Uh, common emailer to the show and also common emailer to me with questions but this week he's got a question I think that's on the tips of everyone's tongue uh, which is like you would expect Marvel fans are in an uproar over Joe Quesada and his one more day number one have you read it uh, I read the first issue and I thought it was okay but for three ninety nine, I kind of didn't like all the backup material I thought that was a little unnecessary so I didn't pick up the rest of it so I mean I don't really have an opinion about the the way it was written or the art i didn't read it so i don't really feel qualified to, to bitch or praise it because i don't know how it was you know hint internet fans if you haven't read it you're not qualified to say anything good or bad about it but the second question i do feel qualified in a way because i have an opinion and like assholes everyone has one if you did do you think this is the most clean or appropriate way to go about doing a retcon? Well, I didn't read it, but uh, I kind of wanted to go a little bit into just retcons in general. Um, you know, we, we've sort of talked about this a couple times where people have asked about Hawkman and they've also asked about, you know, the Legion of Superheroes and asked about retcons. And uh, I see a lot of people on the internet, you know, they, sort of, they sort of toss words around very casually, you know, like they feel as if they've been betrayed by this, that uh, Spider-Man's ruined the 20 years of history doesn't exist because of this retcon. Well, I hate to say this, but man, if you're a comic book fan and you follow a character for 25 years, you're going to get fucked at some point. And that's not to say that they've done anything wrong. It's just, man, that's what's going to happen. No one's going to write 25 years worth of stories that you personally are going to like. I mean, that's just, that's just reality coming to bite you on that and i think it's a good thing i think it's good if you're a consumer to occasionally get pissed off and maybe want to change the products i mean comic books are a medium not a genre so if spider-man if you don't like what they did with spider-man and you're feeling a little hurt and you're feeling a little angry about you know how the big two with the crossovers and the retcons and it's bothering you but you love comics there are comics out there that this isn't going to happen with I mean, something I don't imagine in The Walking Dead at some point that Kirkman's going to go back and retcon uh, something that happened in the third issue. I, I just can't see that happening. Now, that's not to say that The Walking Dead's a, a better book inherently than Spider-Man or The Flash or any other book like that. But the mechanics of those stories, they're going to be different. You know, these big corporate entities, while they can produce really imaginative and great stories they're still properties and they're still created by tons of different people you know when people comment that 20 years worth of stories have been ruined they haven't you know the guys who wrote and edited spider-man 15 years ago kind of don't have anything to do with this you know it's not the same we we attach we get so attached to our characters that we love 
that we forget that really there's such a looseness to what makes them that those characters those characters the name the book the company that owns them but all the creativity all the creative stuff there are just a myriad of people constantly changing uh, always evolving always coming up with new ideas uh, and that's part of it I mean that's that's how spider-man can survive for decades that's how Superman survives for decades is that it changes and sometimes change is clumsy you know sometimes there isn't an easy way to get from point A to point B so you just gotta do it you gotta you know if they really think the marriage is holding back their creativity and they're trying to do it to fix the character to make it more interesting then you know they do it and maybe you don't like how it's done and maybe it wasn't written well maybe it wasn't drawn well I mean I didn't read it so I can't comment on that but it's gonna happen it's gonna happen with all the characters at some point, you know, Superman's had so many little changes done to him. He was a, you know, he was a reporter. Then he was a newsman on TV because newspapers were dying. And now he's back to being a reporter. And, you know, all this stuff. It happens with everyone. Yeah, it's, it's sort of part and parcel, you know, with it. And I know uh, I'm probably pissed off a few people by saying that. Because part of comics is holding on to that childhood you know, a little bit. I mean, you. I think you're lying to yourself if you're not saying that part of part of your enjoyment of comics is a little bit of that gleefulness, that childlike quality that I think is a great quality to have. I mean, it keeps it makes life interesting to have that. But also at the same time, as you get older, you know, maybe reading Spider-Man for 25 years it might be natural for you to get pissed off. I mean, it's not really meant to be read for 25 years consecutively with all the stories making sense, you know. Flash wasn't created, so for 50 years you have 50 years worth of history. Because it can't work that way, you know. Um, and I'm, now I'm going off on a huge tangent, but Teen, Teen Titans Year One came out this week. And, uh, and I saw a few, I like, when I read a book, I like to go see what other people are talking about it. Uh, I always read it first and formulate my own opinion because I don't want to be colored too much by what other people say. And, you know, I saw someone complain, you know, obviously then, like, isn't it supposed to take place in the 80s? And I always think, do you really want, like, a book that's in your face telling you that it's in the 80s? I mean, as long as it takes place in the past, isn't that good enough? Isn't that okay? You know, it's... We have all these weird hang-ups, or some fans do. I mean, I have them, too. You know, about time. You want everything to fit. But it's not going to. You know, it just can't. So, you know, if the brand new day stuff comes out, and it's great, everyone will forget about One More Day. And people will look back on it as being a necessary step to get to all these other great stories that they're going to tell. And that's also the cool thing about comics is if you don't like this story, there's another one coming along. There's going to be somebody else with a different Spider-Man story to tell. So if you don't like this one, you know, wait, there's another one coming. So uh, that's me, but I'm, I'm sort of a live and let live type of guy. I go with the flow, so... I, I I don't get that man. I just drop the book and then I walk away and then I get lured back. You know, that's me though. Uh, but that's answer man. Uh, if you have questions that you want me to answer or you want to hear what I think about things, always feel free to email me at Tom at Around Comics and I will talk to y'alls later. This portion of Around Comics is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Available for order right now from Ape Entertainment, White Picket Fences. The critically acclaimed series returns in a new prestige one-shot featuring two Titanic tales. 
In the history lesson, an aging mad scientist makes one last dastardly grasp for power. Then in Beatlemania, giant bugs invade Greenview, destroying everything in their path. Find out why Diamond's Scoop magazine named White Picket Fences, one of its top ten books of 2007. Order your copy of the White Picket Fences one-shot today from the January issue of Previews. And to purchase the original three-issue miniseries, head to your local retailer or check out Ape online at wcubed.apecomics.com. Comics aren't just in comic shops and bookstores anymore. You can find thousands of web comics online. And Jeremy Mullins is here to save you hours of searching the internet by telling us where to find the best and brightest in the ever-changing world of web comics. This week I'd like to recommend AmericanElf.com, the recently rebranded American Elf Super Site, which features the daily journal comics of indie creator James Kachalka. Um... I've, I've been a big fan of, of American Elf for a long time. I read it every single day. However, I've been, I've been really hesitant to recommend it to the Around Comics listeners because up until very, very recently, you could only get the, the current day strip for free. All the archives were blocked. You had to have premium membership to get, to get access to the archives. And I, in terms of webcomics, I just don't support that. I'm not down with that philosophy. But... Kachalka's retooled his site, the archives are open, so today I'm recommending it to you, AmericanElf.com. Um, it's, he's, if you like journal comics, uh, he's been doing it longer than anybody else, so I would argue he's the best at it. Um, you know, you get a slice of life, you get to see today what happened to Kachalka yesterday, and it really fosters, you know, an intimate relationship between the author and the reader, um. You know, it's not just good comics, but it's kind of an absorbing experience, and and that wouldn't be possible without the instantaneous delivery of the web. Um, so it's very, very well suited his work for web comics. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with Kachalka's work, he's he's done a lot of stuff in print, uh, mostly with alternative comics and with uh, our friends over at Top Shelf Comics. Um, I would like to recommend to Tom Caters a series that he does for Top Shelf called Super Fuckers, where essentially he takes the Legion of Superheroes and writes them as if they were just crappy, self-absorbed bastards like all teenagers really are. Um, yeah, so you, I think, would really, really dig it, Tom, so go check that out. Um... But other things he's done has been like Monkey vs. Robot. Um, there's also printed collections of all of his web journal works, um, also called American Elf through Top Shelf Comics. Um, so, this week's recommendation, AmericanElf.com. Go check it out. For Around Comics, I'm Jeremy W. Mullins.
Jeremy Mullins is a professor of sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. You can find more about the school and their programs of study at www.scad.edu. When he's not writing The Continuing Adventures of Catwoman, Will Pfeiffer is a DVD and movie reviewer for the Rockford Register Star. Here's Will to tell us about what's happening in DVDs. This week's major DVD release is Zodiac, director David Fincher's masterful examination of the search for the Zodiac Killer who terrorized San Francisco in the 1970s. The movie arrived on a bare-bones disc last year, but this is the version film fans have been waiting for. Besides the director's cut of the film itself, which makes Zodiac, a long movie already by anyone's standards, even longer, the second disc in the set includes a making-up documentary, a feature on the special effects, there's a lot of CGI in Zodiac you'd probably never notice, and a doc on the real search for the killer. It's packaged in a box that eerily mimics the letters Zodiac sent to newspapers in the day. If you've got Fincher's special edition DVD sets of Seven, Fight Club, or Panic Room, you know how much work he and his crew put into these releases, and Zodiac promises to be just as good. Also out this week is 310 to Yuma, the western remake starring Russell Crowe and Christian Bale that got some pretty darn good reviews last fall. Sunshine, director Danny Boyle's imaginative epic about an ill-fated expedition to the sun should please science fiction fans, and The Riches, the FX show about a family of con artists who wind up impersonating a wealthy Florida family was one of last year's better TV shows, and it arrives on Disc Tuesday. Finally, if you're absolutely desperate for something to watch as the writer's strike grinds on, pick up your copy of All-Star Family Feud, a slice of prime 1970s cheese pitting the cast of The Dukes of Hazard, Eight is Enough, and The Love Boat, and other shows against each other. How could it not be entertaining? This week's cult DVD pick is Confessions of a Psycho Cat, a wild and crazy bit of nastiness from 1968. The grindhouse plot rips off the most dangerous game by pinning our hero, Eileen Lord, the psycho cat of the title, against three guys who she bets can't stay alive for 24 hours. Spoiler alert, the guys lose the bet. There were a lot of movies like this released to CD theaters in the late 1960s, but Psycho Cat stands out thanks to its wild plot, crazy camera work, and the fact that one of those soon-to-be-dead guys is played by ex-boxer Jake LaMotta, the subject of Martin Scorsese's classic Raging Bull. Too bad Marty and Company didn't include any footage from this one. Also, keep an eye out for several nude scenes that were crudely edited in three years after Psycho Cat was finished. They don't make them like this anymore. Thank God. That's the DVD Report, and I'm Will Pfeiffer for Around Comics. You can find Will's written reviews at the Rockford Register Star by visiting go.rrstar.com and going to the entertainment section. You can also visit Will's blog at willpiper.com and remember to read Catwoman every month. Whether you say manga or manga, there's no question that there are some great reads coming from Japan these days. And here with his recommendations is Jarrett Williams on manga. Or manga. This week on the Manga Review, I'll be talking about a title known as Yotsuba. This is a pretty good slice of life uh, manga by Kiyohiko Azuma. He's worked on one other title known as Azu Manga Deo, which is another slice of life sort of comedy story as well. So I could see how these two relate and... Just seeing where his style has come from with that title to this one is pretty good. Now, Yusuba actually began as a webcomic, which 
I also think it's awesome because you don't really hear about uh, webcomics in Japan as much as you do over here. So it's kind of cool to see what's, how he took these characters that were once, you know, just on a couple of webcomic strips and brought them into their own series. Now, Yasuba is adopted by this guy named, well, frankly, we don't know his name. Uh, he's kind of referred to as Mr. Kawai or Dad throughout the story. Uh, all we know is that he adopted Yotsuba while overseas doing something. And pretty much that's where the story uh, pretty much takes off from. Um, this guy is sort of offbeat. Yotsuba is extremely naive. Um, really, she's so pure-hearted. And um, when you watch her go through her day-to-day -day adventures, you can't help but sort of smile. Volume 4 of Yotsuba, the story literally begins with Yotsuba and her dad playing a game of rock, paper, scissors. And every time Yotsuba loses, she gets hit with a newspaper by her dad. Now, this might seem like a form of child abuse, whatever. It's funny as hell. And it sets the tone for the rest of the story. Like, when I saw that scene and how well it was drawn and how well it came across just from reading it, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna like this. Um, the rest of the book finds Yotsuba going fishing with her friends and her neighbors. And just watching the day-to-day -day adventures is I really kind of wondered if it would ever get sort of stale um there's a moment towards the back where I sort of figured you know what I'm kind of over it but it's one of those things you just kind of have to you know finish the rest of the way out and you find yourself turning the page not knowing why so a couple of things that I think you'll really like about the book the environments and the interiors are really really well drawn and the characters are always interacting with the environment, which I think is cool. It's one of those things that people really criticize manga a lot for. Um, there are a lot of backgrounds here. And it's a really clean-cut style. You never find yourself getting confused. There aren't a bunch of speed lines all over the place, even though I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, you can always follow what's going on with Yasuba and her family. Um, criticisms, it really might be hard to get into the story on Volume 4. Um, a lot of the characters uh, have obviously been introduced and set up in the previous three volumes. So coming into volume four, there are a lot of people and keeping up with them was really, really hard for me. So I will say if you get a chance, might want to read the previous volumes first. But other than that, I think it's a really, really good read. Um, I like the style of it. I like the tone and you should definitely check it out. Have a good one. Jarrett Williams is a graduate student at the Savannah College of Art and Design. He's also a webcomic artist and you can check out his work by going to LunarBoyLand.com. Now let's get you ready for the week ahead with new trade paperback releases. Here is Collected Comics Library's Chris Marshall. Hey everybody, it's time for this Monday's Trade 5 Report. I hope you're all having a happy and safe 2008. And let's get right to the bad news, because that's what New Year's is all about. And it seems that all the conversation these days, at least kicking off this year, has been Spider-Man One More Day. And I decided to look a little bit more into One More Day and to find out when exactly the premiere hardcover is coming out. And sure enough, it is going to be coming out March 12th. Now, what will this include? Well, it's going to include Amazing Spider-Man 544 and 545, Sensational 41, Friendly Neighborhood 24, Spider-Man One More Day, The Sketchbook, and Marvel Spotlight One More Day, Brand New Day. This is all going to be for $20. No word on if there is going to be an introduction or some kind of forward by either Straczynski or Quesada. But with all the banter going back and forth on the blogosphere and the newsorama and the comic book resources and the analysis over this story, you think that something could be included or in this book to you know, really have that extra DVD goodness that we all come to expect from the omnibuses or the absolutes or something. 
it would be kind of interesting to get both of their perspectives, both Straczynski and Casada. You know, now that all the information and, and the interviews are coming out, how how much this is impacting the Marvel universe. Uh, it would be kind of neat to capture all this for some kind of time capsule, in a way, so we can look back on it 20 years from now and really, you know, get the flavor of not only, you know, the fans that are the fan reaction from all this, but also from the artists and writers and the people that are actually involved in coming up with this and creating this whole storyline. Uh, it's not unprecedented. If you look at the JLA Avengers slipcase, quote-unquote, absolute version that came out a couple years ago, the second volume that had all the extras included the editorials from both DC and Marvel as to what the problems were trying to get a JLA Avengers team-up book going in the early to mid-1980s. And sure enough, it's kind of fun to look back on that now and see what the differences was, why they're having problems, uh, the jabs that both Marvel and DC were kind of giving to each other in these editorials. And, and now it's you look back on it, and it's all kind of fun and games, and it's like, boy, they could have put all their problems aside and just done this. Well, the same thing kind of seems to be coming up now with Straczynski and Quesada and, and their problems as far as you know the, the results of the storyline and how each of them really are reacting to it. But like I said, we don't really know if there's going to be any kind of introduction. But then again, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple years from now we do get that absolute or omnibus treatment from this storyline and have all the extra stuff in it. But for now, we're just going to have to wait and see. So let's start off with the new releases of the week. From DC Comics, we have Showcase Presents Robin the Boy Wonder, Volume 1. This collects a ton of Robin solo stories from the Silver Age. We also have JSA Presents Stars and Stripe, Volume 2. This collects issues 0 and 9 through 14. Grifter and Midnighter get the trade paperback treatment, and that is for mature readers, just so you guys know. Over at Marvel, we have the Essential Captain America, Volume 4, collecting Cap 157 through 186. Ghost Rider Volume 3 Apocalypse Soon, collecting Ghost Rider 12 through 13 and Annual Number 1. New Warriors Volume 1, collecting New Warriors 1 through 6. Next Wave Agents of Hate Volume 2, I Kick Your Face, collecting 7 through 12. Ultimate X-Men Volume 13 Sentinels, collecting 81 through 88. Beyond gets a trade paperback, collecting Beyond 1 through 6 for $15. And Savor Chronicles is up to issue number 7. Collecting Civil War, Frontline, the Embedded and Accused storylines from issues 6 through 8. Over at Dark Horse, we have Savage Sword of Conan, Volume 1, the trade for $18. In the mid-1970s, following the colossal success of Conan the Barbarian, Roy Thomas helped expand the universe of Conan to showcase further stories and the talents of some of the comics industry's best with the equally popular Savage Sword of Conan magazine. It is all collected here for the first time under Dark Horse. Very cool. Finally, over at Image, for you Elephant Man fans, we have Captain Stoneheart and the Truth Fairy, the hardcover for 20 bucks. This special hardcover edition features special artwork and Joe Kelly's full script and a special audio CD reading of the story. That is something a little different there from Image. Audio presentations are always kind of neat to listen to, and then you can kind of Read along with it, right? Put your headphones on and read along with it. So that is this Monday's Trade 5 for Around Comics. I'm Chris Marshall, Collected Comics Library. 
Chris Marshall is the host of the Collected Comics Library podcast. You can find the podcast, release schedules, and checklist of everything collected at CollectedComicsLibrary.com. Welcome to the new releases for January 11th, 2008. That's right, we're back to books coming out on Wednesdays. The last two weeks were magic, and we don't have to explain it. So let's get right to DC Comics with Batlash number two of six, the Western comic being written by novelist Peter Brandvold, Sergio Aragonis, and drawn by John Severin. I've, I enjoyed the first issue quite a bit. Uh, Batlash is a bit of a fancy lad, so we'll see how he does in the world of westerns we have nightwing number 140 uh the beginning of the peter tomasi rags morales run on the book i've often heard nightwing fans complain that nightwing hasn't been good in years so let's see if this new creative team can satiate their urge to the former boy wonder uh we got salvation run number three the bill willingham sean chen villain story uh it's been a bit of a fun quote unquote romp realize we use the word romp a lot, but uh, this qualifies. It has Gorilla Grout on the cover, so we have a winner almost immediately. Uh, we have Teen Titans, the Lost Annual, number one, at four ninety nine. Writer is Bob Haney, and artist is Jay Stevens and Mike Allred. Uh, if you don't know who Bob Haney is, he is uh, he's a former writer of the original Teen Titans run, uh, Old Brave and the Bold. Bob Haney was very unconcerned with continuity, which was sort of the creation of the mythical Earth B for Bob, which is where all his stories took place, but sometimes they don't make sense. Uh, I believe that this is um, a story that Haney had written a couple years ago and just kind of sat around, so now it's being put out in an annual format. Uh, it's going to be a very different take than you're used to from the Teen Titans. They're going into space to rescue John, President John F. Kennedy. So, right off the bat there, you know what you're going to get, but uh, it should be interesting, to say the least. Uh, over at Marvel Comics, we have the debut of Brand New Day Spider-Man, uh, beginning with the Dan Slott, Steve McNiven story. Uh, for all of you people who have been wearing sackcloth and gnashing your teeth the last two weeks over one more day, we have Brand New Day. Maybe this will make you forget how sad you are and angry. According to the internet, uh, we have Hulk number one coming out by writer Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis. You know, I dropped the Hulk during World War Hulk, and now he's red. And to be honest, I, I'm probably not going to get it, but it's a number one, so you know, keep your eyes out for it. We have a uh, Mighty Avengers number seven, uh, which is going to begin the Mark Bagley run on the series. So I expect this book to come out daily. Uh, we have uh, twelve. Number one, or should I say The Twelve, number one by J. Michael Straczynski and Chris Weston. This deals with some World War II characters coming into the modern world. So, I mean, if you're a fan of the JSA, you're a fan of Golden Age Stories, this might be an interesting book for you to pick up. Uh, we also have, uh, from Vertigo, we have Exterminators, number 25. Great book, I've been loving that. Sculpt, number 13. Also coming out, keeping up the good work on that. Uh, as far as from the world of independence, quote-unquote, we have BPRD from Dark Horse. BPRD 1946, number one. Writer Mike Mignola, artist Joshua Dysart. Uh, I've been loving the BPR story so far. 
they do a great job of keeping you out regularly enough that you can keep following them. But also, they have their own little themes, their own little series, so they're memorable in their own right. And uh, this one takes place in 1946, so gotta love the Golden Age. Apparently, everyone's loving it. We have also from Dark Horse, we got Evil Dead, number one, written by Mark Verhain, artist John Bolton. Uh, artist John Bolton, that, I'm, I might pick up uh, Evil Dead, number one. You know, I, I, I think Evil Dead might be slightly overrated. Uh, in a little bit, uh, I think it's a fun movie and a fun concept. So uh, I hope it works well in the world of horror. Uh, we have Goon Number Twenty coming out by Eric Powell, also from Dark Horse. Uh, uh, you know, the Goon had been sort of dropped off lately, you know, because he was working on the Chinatown graphic novel. So hopefully, maybe uh, the Goon will get rolling again, and we'll, we'll get it a little bit more often. Uh, Youngblood's back. Writer Joe Casey, artist. Derek Donovan, I believe this is coming out from Image. Uh, this will be interesting. Uh, you know, Youngblood probably gets a pretty bad rap as it's wrapped up in a lot of people's problems with the 90s. So uh, we'll see what happens. New series, good writer, good artist. We'll see what happens. And uh, that's what I got for the new releases of January 11th. 2008. Of course, some of these things may not show up at your shop because Diamond is a monopoly and they don't have to treat their customers all that great. Uh, I shouldn't editorialize, but I just did. So I will talk to you next week. That'll take care of another Monday edition of Around Comics, the Comic Culture Podcast. Make sure to come back on Thursday for Around Comics, the Comic Culture Roundtable. It's an informal and entertaining roundtable discussing the world of comics and pop culture. You can visit us online at www.aroundcomics.com. You can contact the show via email at info at aroundcomics.com. You can also visit us at MySpace and ComicSpace. And if you are inclined to do so, you can leave us a review at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for listening today and making Around Comics your source for the best comic book news, reviews, and opinions. We'll be back again on next Monday for another edition of Around Comics, the comic culture podcast. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, retransmission, or rebroadcast without the express written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2007. My loving baby, now you gone. Got my love, baby, now you gone. I know you didn't love it, baby. I know you did me wrong. Let me come home. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got to, got to love.